Hi, you're listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. This sermon, The Baptism of Jesus, is from 19 January 2020. The scripture is Luke 3, 21 through 22. Thank you for listening and may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As Baptists, we believe in baptism by immersion, that when you are a, when you decide that you are going to follow Jesus, when you proclaim Jesus as the Lord of your life, as the Savior of your life, that you are going to be baptized by full immersion unless it, there's some reason that you cannot, in which case we make exceptions. My sister Mary was dry cleaned. Um, She can tell you the story later. And as Baptists, we believe that we, we put you under the water and it is symbolic of, of death, dying to our old ways and rising in life to new life in Jesus. And we are very much defined by, or at least named by, our feelings towards watery immersion but I'm going to confess something to you this morning. It's my heresy as a Baptist. It is the thing that makes me maybe the world's worst Baptist, despite having a certificate of Baptist studies from my seminary. I am terrified of the water. Not just a little scared, terrified. Like the first time I was in a canoe, I had a panic attack. We had to sit there for like five minutes at the dock while this poor dock worker, uh, the guy who like goes and gets the canoe and brings it out and puts it in the water, he's there like going, is this guy okay? I mean, here's a grown man who is on the verge of tears in a, commu- in a, in a canoe just trembling which doesn't help the state of the canoe any. You know, you're going back and forth and back and forth, and I'm trembling. After a while, I got it, and I enjoyed canoeing, and we accidentally invaded Canada. That's a story for a different time. But I am terrified of the water. Putting my face in the water, going under the water. I mean, yeah, I'll get in a swimming pool or or something and splash around a little bit if I have to, I guess. But it's not my favorite thing. I am not remotely aquatic. And for the longest time, I thought, oh man, I'm kind of out there in this. I'm, I'm alone in my fear of the water. But then I started reading scripture. And I'm very much not alone in my fear of the water. See, God's people have never been great seafaring people. They were fishermen. And so they, they had boats, and they would go, and they would fish, and they would, that was a big part of their diet, is fish. They, they're Mediterranean-type people. But on the other hand, where a lot of the civilizations that were around Israel on the Mediterranean were great seafaring people, and they would trade with boats, and they would, they would go across the sea and come back, and they would fight battles with their boats and all of this— God's people have never been water people. We've never been really comfortable with it. The Bible opens with the earth covered in water, 
and it is formless and void. That's what the scripture says. Genesis 1, that the, 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 the waters covered the deep. And that depicts chaos and uncertainty. It was a flood, a tremendous amount of water that swept away uh, unrighteousness from the earth and, and God started again with Noah and his family where we see in, in the book of Genesis. And again, the waters represent destruction. There is a great beast depicted in the book of Job, Leviathan, who lives in the water and only God himself can contain Leviathan. The water bore threats. And when God's people were being led from Egypt, they wind up at the Red Sea and they don't know what they're going to do because they've not got boats. It represents a challenge. Later on, God's people would go into the land that God had promised them and they were told to cross the Jordan River and they get up to its banks and the water was overflowing. It was flooding its banks. It represented one last hurdle in a long journey. So here we've got Jesus and so much is said in these two little verses. It's a very small part of scripture. We've jumped over John the Baptist. I'm going to come back to John the Baptist sometime, I promise, being a man named John who is also a Baptist. I can sympathize. But we, we have jumped over John and we've gone straight to Jesus' baptism because we're talking about how we grow in Christ as we're watching Jesus grow. Jesus does not need this baptism. John's baptism was for repentance. It was for acknowledgement that our relationship with God is not right and that something needs to be fixed. And it was to recognize that and put off that old way and be reborn into a new way. Jesus didn't need this. He'd never done anything wrong. So why does he show up for baptism? Why does he enter these waters? Well, if you kind of look at that, and then you see that, that when Jesus comes out of the water, God blesses him. God anoints him for the task that is to come. That's the other big thing that's happening here. It is, it is a tremendous moment in the life of Jesus, but it defines Jesus' life. Because the baptism of Jesus places him squarely in the middle of human brokenness and the anointing of God. Jesus approaches the Jordan River. And I have it on good authority that if you go down into the Jordan River, it is a murky, muddy, miry river that is not particularly pleasant to walk through. The Willamette, it is not. 
But Jesus approaches this river. And Jesus approaches the river not just as Jesus the man or Jesus the son of God. But in the passage that Derek read, it's the beginning of of what we call Isaiah's servant songs. And these were, were passages of scripture that were described as what God's people would do in the world. But God's people were not capable of of doing these things in the world. And so here we see Jesus taking on the role of this servant. That he is going to fulfill the mission of God's people himself so that through what he would eventually do in his death and resurrection, a new people would be formed, not just of the people of Israel, but from the whole world. So Jesus approaches the Jordan with the memories and the the imagery of the, the, the water covering the depths of creation and the flood and the Red Sea and the Jordan River. And in all of the other situations, God made a way. God parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk across. God had people stand in the middle of the Jordan River on rocks so that their feet would pass over on dry land. But we as humanity don't get that option always. There are times when God makes a way for us. Amen? But there are also times when we walk through the muck and the mire every day and our feet get stuck and it's difficult and we get dragged down. And the human condition lends itself to chaos and disorder. The fullness of the kingdom has not yet been realized. And because of that, things are still kind of a mess, aren't they? All of these chaotic, destructive, havoc-ridden water images are applicable to our everyday life. So what does Jesus do as the son of God? He walks straight into it. He walks straight into it, into a situation that by all rights, he does not have to walk into. But he is saying, for the first time, I am choosing to follow what God has for me to do. And I am choosing to go straight into the human condition. He walks into all of our chaos and all of our sinfulness and he stands in the middle of it and he immerses himself in it. He goes down underneath it and comes right back up. And you get a little foreshadowing there. But he embraces all of the troubles of our world And says, I am going to locate myself. I'm going to put myself right in the middle of it. And it wasn't, in Luke's gospel, it wasn't when he rises from the waters. It was afterwards, he was praying after he came up. And the heavens open up. 
And there's no indication that anyone else around saw this. This wasn't a moment where everybody was standing gawking like the, the shepherds were that we read at Christmas. This seemed to be just something that Jesus had told one of his disciples and one of his disciples mentioned to Luke. But this seemed to be just a moment for Jesus when God sees Jesus standing in rich symbolism of the human condition, of, of the past of God's people, and says, this is my son who is dearly loved, and you bring me great joy. The whole trinity is gathered there. This might be one of the first glimpses we have of the trinity. Because we have the voice of God the Father, we have the Spirit who descends like a dove, and there's all sorts of debate. Was it like a dove? Was it a dove? I don't care. It was dove-like, dove-esque. We don't have time for these shenanigans. And then we have Jesus right in the middle of it all. And Jesus has accepted his calling to be the servant, to step into the water. And he's anointed by God to continue along the task. What was he praying? We don't know. We're not quite sure. We don't have, have that information. But what we know is that when we put our trust in Jesus, when we see Jesus in Scripture, and when we see the work that we as followers of Jesus have to, to do in the world, it has to be located directly at the intersection of human suffering, of human need, and God's blessing. And what shape does an intersection make? It makes a cross. Because when we see in Jesus' baptism his sacrifice of glory into the human condition and his rising from the water and his blessing from God. He goes on from there ultimately towards his death. And for us, being God's people in the world and entering the needs of the people around us means immersing ourselves in that and being present in that. But going with God's anointing, with God's blessing, that we're capable and equipped for the task at hand, that God will guide us through these waters with the world around us, and that it will eventually lead, ultimately, to the renewing and recreation of our world after the pattern of Jesus. Amen.